time. This is for kids who are sixth grade and under. They'll make their way upstairs. While they're doing that, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10 in your Bibles. We're working our way through the gospel of Mark, and we're to a text this morning that, uh, th- that is heavy. I don't, ha- I don't have another way to say it. Uh, and, and so we're going to deal with what is a very needed and yet you'll notice a very, just a very heavy, weighty text as Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 10 about the subject of marriage and divorce and and, and remarriage. And he's speaking to these issues. And here's why I want to acknowledge the significance and the weight of what Jesus is teaching here in Mark chapter 10. Because we understand that we live in a world where divorce is a common reality. In fact, if you study historically in right here in Grady County, you can go onto the Oklahoma Department of Human Services website and you can find statistics for the numbers of marriage licenses filed for and the number of divorces that also happen. And you can study that statewide. But if you focus on Grady County, what you'll find is that historically over the last 25 years, there have been typically around 300 marriage licenses granted each year in Grady County. And similarly, about 300, just short of 300 annually, divorces that take place in Grady County as well. So there's nearly a one-to-one ratio. And that doesn't mean that every marriage ends in divorce, but statistically speaking in Grady County, For every marriage that happens, there is a divorce that happens. And so as we deal with this, it's something that we all live with. Divorce is a reality that affects all of us. And here's the reality about divorce. It is painful. Divorce is personal. And divorce is powerful because it has the, the very power to tear apart families and, 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 and drive a wedge between people and isolate uh, folks from, from their loved ones, from their church, from their community. Divorce is, is, is painful. It's powerful. It's personal. And yet, Jesus speaks right to the heart of the matter. Now, let me jump ahead just a little bit, okay? Because if you're thinking, oh, great, I want out. This is too personal. This is too close to home. If you're looking for the eject already this morning, let me tell you, this is where we're going, okay? And I want you to hear this because I want to give you the end from the beginning and then let me connect the dots. The heart of what Jesus teaches about divorce is this. When we understand divorce properly, we see that it's always, it's always a violation of God's will. And yet, when we bring the heart of the gospel into our understanding of divorce, what we find is that divorce, though a painful reality, is a reminder that we are all the adulterous spouse because we have rebelled against Jesus who came to pursue us, to love us, to chase after us. We are, we are the adulterous spouse. And yet God loves us. He's pursued us. He's made a way for us to be in a loving relationship with him. Even the painful reality of divorce points us to the beauty of redemption and restoration in Jesus Christ. 
And so today is not a message to condemn those who have been divorced. I'm going to speak to it the way that Jesus speaks to it because I hope to just to illuminate what the text says. But the reality is this. God's hope and his love and his promise shine through even the darkest and the most difficult of the circumstances in all of our lives. And you'll see that beautifully in this text today. Mark chapter 10. And because again of the, the, just the personal, painful, powerful nature of divorce, I want to do something that I don't typically do at the beginning of one of my messages. And I want to, I want to start this message this morning with prayer. And I want to pray that God would open our hearts to receive this, that we would not be defensive against his word and his truth, and that we would, that we would not be puffed up or prideful as well in thinking that this is about someone else, that we would see ourselves in the, in, in the text, in the teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Would you pray with me? Lord God, now speak to our hearts. Lord, this, we understand, is not just about laying out principles. This isn't just about turning the Bible into a list of do's and don'ts. Lord, we understand that your teaching here is not about giving us any leg to stand on as though somehow this would, would prop up our sense of spiritual self-righteousness. Lord, may we be humbled by the reality that we have all sinned against you. We all play the part of the adulterous spouse. We all have run from you, cheated on you, rebelled against you, turned our backs against you, and yet you lovingly bore that on the cross for us to make a way to forgive and restore us. May that truth and that reality be at the very center of this study now. We pray in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching here about the subject of divorce. I don't have to tell you how painful this can be because I know that every one of us in this room are personally affected by divorce in some way. Maybe you have been through divorce and so it's, it's come close to home for you because it's been your reality. It's a road you've walked. Maybe it's a loved one that you have walked down that road with. Maybe for some even, you might find yourself on that journey, on that path currently, right now, walking that road. This morning, I think God has a word that he wants to speak to us. And so I want to read from this text, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And then I would like to look at three truths that we see in this text that Jesus is teaching us. And ultimately, we'll see how the gospel lovingly, powerfully shines through in the midst of this teaching. Mark chapter 10, verse 1, and he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. The Pharisees came up in order to test him. We know that this is a trap. They are setting a trap here, trying to catch Jesus in a, in a sense so that they might use his words against him, that they might have some reason to have him arrested. And much the same as we've seen already in the Gospel of Mark with John the Baptist, they're, they're not just trying to get Jesus off the street. They're trying to take him out. They, they want to have him killed, removed, so that his teaching and his influence would go away. And so it says, they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He's quoting here from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and also Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then Jesus adds this important element to this teaching. What therefore God has joined together... Let not man separate. Verse 10, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery with her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So we see in this text that Jesus is speaking directly to this painful, personal, powerful reality that we live with, divorce. The first thing that I want us to see in this text is the reality of divorce. The reality of divorce. The Pharisees, in their attempt to catch Jesus in a trap, have asked him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus responds with a question. What does Moses command? Now that's an interesting way for Jesus to respond to them. Because Jesus... Jesus is, in a sense, presuming upon their question, what does Moses command you? And yet, interestingly, if you were to study the Old Testament text, in particular, you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 2, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 24, and you're going to find where Moses teaches this teaching that Jesus references even, and, and that the Pharisees reference about divorce. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we find this teaching about divorce that Moses writes in the law. And Jesus says, though, what does Moses command? Now, the interesting part of that is this. Nowhere in the Old Testament does, does the law command divorce. The law allows a provision for divorce. But if you were to read that text in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we don't have time to do that this morning. We're going to keep moving. But let me just summarize the teaching of Deuteronomy 24 this way. The purpose of that passage is to teach that when a man divorces his wife, by the way, in Jewish culture, men had the power to divorce their wives. Women did not have the power to divorce their husbands. Interestingly, in this passage in chapter 12, excuse me, in verse 12, Jesus says, if a woman divorces her husband, that was, not only was it uncommon, it was unheard of in in Hebrew culture. There was no grounds for a woman to divorce her husband. However, in Roman culture, that could happen. We know that Mark's gospel is written primarily to a Gentile audience. And so we see even the the, the evidence of that in, in the way that Mark relates the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, what does Moses teach? Moses taught in the law that if a man divorced his wife and she married another man, and then if that man died, that the first husband could not remarry his wife. He could not remarry the woman again because once she had been married to another man, she now belonged to him. 
And so the point of what Moses is teaching there was actually to protect the woman. If we were to unpack that and look at the cultural situation and and really do some work on what's happening with the teaching of Deuteronomy 24, essentially what we find is that women were disadvantaged. Women were treated as property and, and, and such they were they were vulnerable to the decisions of their husband a husband could decide to divorce his wife for little reason and she was now left vulnerable exposed with without any means to provide for herself or care for herself in that culture in that day and the point of what Moses has done is to protect a woman that's the that's the heart of the law and yet he did not command Divorce. He simply speaks to regulations for divorce. But the Jewish leaders, the, the teachers of the law, had developed this complex system of the law, this interpretive system that the Pharisees were at the, at the heart of this, right? That they had developed a system of the law with all of these rules and these regulations that built upon the teaching of the text. And what they said is that a, a man, if he were to divorce his wife, that, uh, well, that he had to divorce his wife if she were guilty of adultery. And there was this system. So they're trying to lay a trap for Jesus. Jesus, seeing this, uses this to expose the, not only the hypocrisy, but even the way that they have twisted the teaching of the law itself. They taught that a man was required to divorce his wife. In fact, even inside of a pharisaical wisdom, there were two popular schools of thought. There was the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. These were two prominent Hebrew scholars, prominent Hebrew rabbi that had these, these followings. And so one following says that a man could divorce his wife for virtually any reason if he was just unhappy with her, if he didn't like the way she cooked his food or, or you know, anything. It could be trivial. He, a man could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. The other school of thought interpreted the law more strictly to say that there, there were certain grounds, there were, there were certain, uh, certain reasons why a man could divorce his wife and, and infidelity was, was at the top of that list. The point is, Moses doesn't command divorce. Moses writes law through, of course, through the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaking to him. We understand that God is working in all of that. Moses wrote the law in such a way that it made provision for divorce, but he does not command it. And so here's the reality that we see, that God's design is mitigated by human sin. Jesus says, From the beginning, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's quoting Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And then he goes on to say, And what God, uh, rather that a husband shall leave his father and mother and shall take a wife, and the two shall be united as one flesh. That's quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And then Jesus adds to that, What God has joined together. Let man not separate. So Jesus is teaching that the the one flesh union that happens between a man and a woman in marriage is God's work. It's God's design from the beginning. So in other words, we could summarize what Jesus is saying is this. God's intention is that a man and woman would be united together in marriage and that it would last for a lifetime. And yet, 
Divorce was a reality in the time that Moses wrote the law, and it was a prominent reality in the time of Jesus. In fact, most scholars believe that the reason that the Pharisees used this topic, this issue, to try to trap Jesus is because it's the very same issue that they used to ultimately to trap John the Baptist. You remember we, when we studied earlier in the Gospel of Mark, we saw that John the Baptist spoke out against Herod Antipas because Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife. She left her husband and went Philip and went to Herod and they were married. She divorced her husband for no reason other than that she wanted to be with her brother-in-law. And John the Baptist spoke out against this strongly. And that ultimately was the reason why Herod had him arrested. And it's what drew the ire of Herod. And more important, it's what caused Herodias, the daughter of Herod's wife, to set the, the, the trap, if you were, for Herod, where she danced seductively. Herod promised her, hey, you can have anything up to half of my kingdom. And her response was, I want the head of John the Baptist. And so all of this was, many, again, we, we believe, a, a trap that the Pharisees are trying to use because they've already done it once successfully, right? They've already used some of these same arguments, this same, they've seen how it worked against John the Baptist. Their, their attempt now is to turn this on Jesus. Can we use this against Jesus, this same situation? So we see that God's design, Jesus teaches us, is a man and a woman for life. The reality is divorce happens. It's mitigated by, God's purpose is mitigated by human sinfulness, by our, by our sinful flesh. But listen, we cannot talk about sin without talking about God's plan for redeeming us from sin. We can't talk about sin without mentioning God's solution for sin, which was Jesus, the very one here who teaches us about God's purpose to love, to redeem, to forgive. So before we move on though, let's, let's just summarize by saying this. The reality of divorce is that divorce happens. The reality of divorce is that it's a product of, as he says here, because of your hardness of hearts. The, re, the reality of divorce is that divorce happens. The law made provision to protect women, provided that divorce was going to happen. The law doesn't command divorce. The law doesn't condone divorce. The law doesn't promote divorce. It makes provision for divorce. But Jesus points us back to God's original purpose, which is one man, one woman for life. Marriage is sacred because of its place in God's design. It's literally the first human institution that God created. Marriage is sacred because Jesus teaches us that marriage is sacred and that's enough. And further, marriage is sacred because we understand that ultimately that marriage is a demonstration of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Paul quotes Jesus here in Mark chapter 10, and then he goes on to add this. I tell you this truth, this mystery refers to Christ and the church, is what he says in Ephesians 5, 32. 
So Paul, Jesus builds on the teaching of Genesis to say that what God has joined together, man shouldn't separate. Paul takes it a step further and says, Jesus taught us that God does this work and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't separate what God has done. And the reason is because it's ultimately a picture of Christ and the church. And so divorce is a reality. It's a reality that is acknowledged here. But I want us to consider, secondly, what we see in this text, which is the reason for divorce. We've seen the reality of divorce. Divorce happens. But this text also speaks to the reason for divorce. Jesus said to them in verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. The reason that divorce happens is because of the hardness of our hearts. Listen, isn't it true that the reason we sin in any way is because of the hardness of our hearts? Isn't it true that every time we sin against God, we have chosen something else besides God's will and his purpose for our lives? Isn't it true that any sin in any situation under any circumstance ultimately is a result of hardness of heart? Divorce certainly fits into that uh, description. Now, here's, the, here's the, the difficult reality, and I'm not going to shy away from this because it's what the text teaches. Divorce is sin because divorce violates the will of God. And yet, ask anyone who's ever been through divorce. You don't have to convince them of the painful sin related to divorce, right? And anyone I've ever known that's been divorced would say, yes, my divorce was because of sin. In my life, in my spouse's wife, it was because of sin. It, it is because of our hardness of hearts. Yes, the reason we see divorce as a reality is because of the painful reality of sin. But let us be careful that we don't so elevate the sin of divorce that somehow we set it in its own special, unique category apart from every other sin. And if there's anything that perhaps we have been guilty of as the church, and I don't mean just First Baptist Church of Chickasha, I mean as the New Testament church. If there's anything that we have been guilty of, it is that we have long taken people who have walked through the painful reality of divorce and we have put the scarlet letter A on them and said, okay, well now you belong over here in this special category of people. We don't do that with other sins. Now, hear me. Divorce is sin. We shouldn't treat it as anything other than sin. Divorce violates the will of God every time. It is a reality brought upon by the mitigated, by the, the reality of our sinfulness. And I'm not trying in any way to condone divorce. I'm not trying in any way to say that it's okay and that we should just live with it. Listen, we should wrestle and work and contend against divorce. We should strive to maintain God's ideal of one man, one woman for life. We, we should fight passionately for that. We, of all people, as the church of Jesus Christ, should contend for what he has designed, what he has purposed. And yet, when sin happens in our lives, what we need and, and I'm not talking about just divorce. I'm talking about any sin, any circumstance, any situation. When sin happens, what we need in that moment more than anything is to go to Jesus and to receive his forgiveness, to be set free, to be forgiven, to be renewed. 
by his, by his work on the cross for us. And that's exactly the heart of what Jesus is teaching here in the response to divorce. So we've seen the reality of divorce. We've seen that the, there's a reason for divorce. It's because of our sin, because of our hardness of heart. But I want you to see here as well, don't miss the response to divorce. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And, and hear me. If you squirm in your seat when I say that, it, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And if, and, and if something inside of you puffs up because you listen, but that's not what, then friend, you're missing the point. Because if you view divorce as its own special category, if you view divorce differently from, 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 from other sins, if, if you want to condone and condemn those who have been through divorce because uh, you, you say that they are adulterers living in adulterous relationships, then you have missed entirely the heart of the gospel and, the, and, and I believe the true message that Jesus is teaching. Now, so let's deal with that. What's the, what's the response to divorce? What is the right response to divorce? Well, in order to consider that, let me go back to verses 10, 11, and 12. In the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We know in Matthew chapter 19 where Matthew gives us this very same teaching, Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. At this point, the disciples say to Jesus, but Jesus, it would be better then if we never got married at all. What are the disciples saying? They're saying, Jesus, you have set a standard that is impossible for us. And the answer to that, my response to that, I should say, would be yes. And if that's what you're thinking, Jesus has set a standard for us that seems impossible. How could we ever possibly live up to that standard? Then friend, now you are on the road to understanding the heart of the gospel and the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Because the truth is, Jesus is giving us an impossible standard here. Jesus is setting for us an impossibly high bar. In Matthew chapter 5 also, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching about adultery. And Jesus says this, quite plainly, he says, that if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, then he's committed adultery. What is adultery? We, we, we read here that if, if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he's committed adultery. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. What is the adultery? Adultery is marital unfaithfulness. Jesus is speaking plainly that if God's design, if his plan from the beginning was one man, one woman for life, and if either of them, the man or the woman, should end that marriage, if that marriage should end a divorce and that person remarries, have they now violated? Is it possible for, them to, for there to be one man, one woman for life if they've broken, if that marriage has ended in divorce, if they've broken that covenant? No. Jesus is speaking plainly. If people get divorced, they, they have committed adultery. When we view adultery as a violation of God's created design. One man, one woman for life. Yes. In all instances where that takes place, it's a violation of that purpose. And so now what? 
Now what? Does God want us then? Does God condemn the man and woman who have remarried? Does he condemn them now? Are they, are they forever to live in an adulterous relationship, uh, separated from the love of God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What does God want for every man or woman who has been divorced and remarried? He wants them now to remain faithful and committed in this new marriage, in this new marriage relationship, understanding that there is grace, there is forgiveness in Christ. And when we understand this, that Jesus sets a a standard for us that's impossible for us to reach, and yet, because we can't reach the standard, he becomes for us the standard keeper. Because we fall short in sin, he stands in the gap for us to pay the price, to make the way, to make us righteous. Now we understand the heart of the gospel. I shared with you that Paul writes that this teaching points us to the picture of Christ and the church. What do we see when we see Jesus and his love for his bride, the church? That though though she, though the the bride of Christ, the church, though she sin against him, though she violate the covenant of that marriage again and again in her unfaithfulness, Christ, the bridegroom, loves his bride unconditionally. He pursues her lovingly. He gives sacrificially. He gives literally everything, his very life, to pardon and redeem her. That's the picture of Christ in the church. That's the picture of the love of God for us. That's the picture that we need to understand because in light of what Jesus is teaching here, don't miss this. In light of what Jesus is teaching here, we are all the adulterous spouse. We are all the one who have sinned against God. We are all the one who have turned our backs against him. And if you want to make Jesus' teaching about marriage and divorce just simply a, a, a moralistic list of who's right and who's wrong, who's condemned and, and, and who's not, if you want to twist the, the teaching, the message of Jesus in, in such a way, then really... There's not much I can do for you than just pray that God would soften your heart. But if you understand the reality of Christ's forgiveness and his loving pursuit of you, though you have played the part of Gomer's wife, though you have played the part of the one who sinned and wandered away, then now you begin to see how marriage is a picture of Christ and the church and his love for us. There's a powerful point. Too many times we too many times we 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 look at this text and we stop with the moral teaching of the text. Now hear me, okay? I want to make an important point here that doesn't just deal with this text, but deals with any text of scripture. When we, as preachers, as we prepare to preach and as we study to preach, we are always looking for what's called, I'm going to use a fancy, fancy word here, so hang with me, okay? The canonical context of the scripture. The canonical context. What does that mean? Well, the canon, 
which means the rule, right? The, the Bible is known as the canon. There are certain books, certain teachings that belong. That's a standard. It's a rule. It's a, a rule of measurement. So these are the books that belong in the canon. But there is, throughout the canon of Scripture, throughout the whole of the Bible, there are not 66 different stories taking place. There is one story beautifully woven throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation of God's loving pursuit of his people and his way to provide the answer to the fall, to sin, through Jesus Christ. All of the scriptures point us to Jesus. And as a preacher, when I study a text, what I am always looking for is how can I take this text back to Jesus how can I lead this text back to the heart of the gospel and the cross? Charles Spurgeon told a story of a Welsh minister who was asked by a young preacher who heard this Welsh minister preach. The, the younger minister asked the, the older minister, what did you think? And the, the older minister said honestly to him, he said, it wasn't any good. And the younger preacher said, but why? And the older preacher said, because you, you never mentioned Christ and the younger minister said, but Christ wasn't in the text, and so we have to preach the text. And the older minister said to the younger minister, son, Christ is in every text. He said, I have never yet to find a text that doesn't have Christ in it. And if I ever did find such a text, then I would, I would hoe a road over hedge and field to make a way to Christ, because there's no hope unless there's a savor of Christ in it. The point of what Spurgeon is saying is this. The heart of any text of Scripture is Jesus because all of the Scripture points us back to him. That's the canonical context. How does this passage reveal the heart of what the Bible teaches about salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ? But often what happens is we will read a text like this and we and we moralize it. We turn it into a list of moral do's and don'ts. Here are some principles for how we ought to live. Now, I believe with all my heart that this passage is teaching us about how we ought to live. I believe with all of my heart that God's design is one man, one woman for life. I believe with all of my heart that divorce is a product of sin and that it violates the will of God always. But if we stop there, then we miss the point of this passage because this passage, like every other passage of scripture, points us back to the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel teaches us this, that though we have sinned against God, he has lovingly pursued us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That though we play the part of the adulterer, Jesus lovingly chased after us. And he offered his life as payment for our sin. And if you miss that, then you miss the gospel. The point of what Jesus teaches. In Mark chapter 10, just like the point of what Jesus teaches in any setting, and frankly, the point of what all of the scripture teaches us, is that we need to look to the gospel, the good news, that there is salvation and forgiveness of sin in Christ. And if we miss that, then we miss the point entirely. Jesus' teaching on divorce is difficult. It is. He cuts to the heart of the matter. He mixes no words here, right? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, guys, 
I got something I want to tell you, but this isn't going to be easy for you, right? No, he, go, he cuts to the heart of the matter because the truth of Christ is not a club that he beats people over the head with. It's a sword that pierces the heart, right? He always gets to the heart of the matter. He speaks directly to this and every other reality. And yet, ultimately, all of his teaching find the fulfillment in his work for us on the cross. And so here's what the gospel teaches us. That though God set a loving standard for us, we have wandered away from him in sin. And yet because of his great love for us, he has pursued us that we might respond to his loving overtures to win us back through his redeeming work on the cross. And so we need to understand clearly the point of what Jesus teaches here. But we also need to set it in its greater context, which is this. Do men and women sin? Yes. Is, is divorce sin? Yes. He says plainly that it is. And yet, for every sinner, there is a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And he gave everything to redeem us from our sin. Let's not miss that truth as we study even the most difficult, the most painful, the most personal of his teachings. He loves us. He pursued us. He gave everything to win us back from our sin. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in our time of response today, our altar will be open. And maybe for you, maybe today you need to there's just some things that you need to, to, to get right with the Lord. And maybe it's related to your own marriage. Maybe it's related to your attitude toward those who have been through divorce. Maybe it's just simply this, that you are guilty of, you are guilty of, of, of treading lightly with the forgiveness that God has lavished upon you. Maybe, maybe you still find yourself playing the role of the, of the unfaithful spouse because you wander away again and again into sin what God is saying to you today is I love you. I have pursued you. I want to win you with my love. Would you turn your heart to me? If you're here today and through this, God has used this to speak to you and, and to convict you of your need to surrender your life to him, to place your faith and your trust in Jesus who gave everything to you. And I pray that you would come. Our staff will be here at the front ready to pray with you, ready to, to walk you through a simple prayer of faith. You could commit your life to Christ today. You could receive his forgiveness today. You could walk out of here today reunited with him through his grace and his loving pursuit of you. And maybe you're here and, and you've been affected by the painful reality of divorce. What I want you to hear is this truth today. God's not finished with you. God's not done with you. In fact, he gave everything to prove to you that he loves you, that he wants to, he wants to win your heart. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've just allowed bitterness, maybe over, over my, my, the loss of my marriage, maybe bitterness toward people who you felt like condemned you or did things that were hurtful or, or, or unkind and unloving. And maybe there's just bitterness in your heart toward people in the church. Listen, Jesus wants to release you of all of that. 
so that you can find forgiveness and restoration in Christ. Would you be willing to surrender it all to him? Whatever way God is speaking, I pray that you would come during our invitation. Our altar are open. Our staff are here at the front. Would you pray with me now? Lord, speak clearly to our hearts. Divide what it says even